Hey, welcome to Wolf's Watch. Today we have Doug Wing, author of best-selling a new best-selling book, Giant Success, and also the former vice chairman of Little Giant Ladder Company. Doug is has a great career. He he was with um, he has over forty years in manufacturing, operations, sales, sales leadership, and executive management. He was co-owner and vice chairman. Let me stop sharing that. Thank you. Sorry, Doug. He's vice chairman, co-owner of Little Giant Ladder Systems before retiring in 2019. He's co-founder, co co-owner, and partner in Bohr Investment Groups, Investment Group, LLC. I have done this before. It may not seem like it. Bohr's business includes multifamily housing, property management, and other retail business ventures. In March of 20, uh, 2022, he released his first book, Giant Success. Got my copy right here. It's a great read. There's a lot of information, a lot of things you can apply in your life and business packed in there. And he serves two missions with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Also serves on the board of Honoring Heroes Foundation. He enjoys riding motorcycles, playing golf, and fitness. He also enjoys collecting cars and motorcycles. He was born in Schwagern, Germany. Did I pronounce that correctly? That's pretty close, yeah. And currently resides in Phoenix, Arizona. Doug, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, Jeffrey, good to see you again. Great to be here today. It Thanks. is. I, I thoroughly enjoyed your book. Thank you very much. It had so many notes. I was like going, you know, this is this is just a whole something that needs to be revisited again and again. Because it's going to take a while to peel peel the layers of the onion and apply. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I you know that book. Uh, it took me eighteen months to do it. I've never written. You wow. know. I haven't written any papers for a long time since college, but, uh, and it was during COVID and I was trying to track people down. I did some traveling by car and some by plane and did some interviews, a lot of the interviews over zoom and recorded Th them. 39 total. Wasn't 39, it, you mention? Yeah. 39 interviews. And, um, and then, you know, a lot of editing and putting the, you know, putting everything together, but you know, I give credit because the day that that book went out, it, went on to Amazon and it went immediately to number one in its category. But I do give credit to Hal Wing for that because my dad was an incredible businessman, incredible man and, and human being. And I just put the stories together and it was incredible. It was really incredible. I did learn more things about my father that oh. I, you know, stories that I had never heard before, but some of the stories I knew before, but a lot of them in the book were afterwards. And, uh, you know, he the one thing about my dad that was really, really great about his philanthropy is he did most of his um, giving in secret and anonymously. And that's really the way that I think that true givers do it. You know, it's great, really great. Yeah. And it was it was a pleasant surprise in reading the book. You know, some of the stories about how he would he would uh, have have a trusted one of his trusted lieutenants that work yeah. with him and call him up and say, Hey, go over and, and, you know, check out these folks. They need this help with their house or that person needs a car. I mean, a car, it was significant giving. It wasn't just like here, send a meal. Yeah. We, you know, one and of yet the, he didn't want the, the fame for it. Yeah. One of the most incredible stories is uh, we, we lost your audio. Oh, you can't hear me. As you're watching this, you know, internet being what it is, sometimes the gerbils just aren't spinning quite fast enough. We're having a little bit of a challenge with audio feed. We're getting that worked out. Can you hear me? Maybe it is. You know what? Let me try something. Maybe it's on my end. Yeah, everything's working. 
Can you hear me? So bear with us while we do a quick little troubleshooting here. On the speakers. I apologize for the, the technical. And actually, we were we were laughing about this and sharing some stories on things that happen during presentations. And even though I've tested, sometimes it's still. Can you hear me? Doesn't work out quite right. Nothing. Hello. Okay, now we're back. I think the problem's on my end. Sorry about that, Doug. Oh, no, that's okay. I was just telling you that uh, I was just sharing a little story with you that. One of the really, really neat stories um, from the book is that, and I, I don't know that this is in the book. It may be in the book, but, you know, my father passed away and we're at the, uh, we're at the funeral home and, you know, he had his viewing and uh, this total stranger comes up, a little widow. She had to be 80, in her 80s, walked up and she's like, you guys don't know me. You know, there's my brother and my sis two sisters and me and our families. And she's like, you guys don't know me, but. She goes, I didn't have a home. I was homeless. And she goes, your dad bought me a house. And we were like, what? And we were just blown away. But anyway, she she said, uh, yeah, your dad bought me a house and and uh, just things like that. But we had no idea, you know, that this had even happened. And, and we there was so many of these, not just his, you know, his his means as far as financial means, but also, you know, visits to people and um he, he was incredible. My dad was, um, my dad was very successful financially. And I was going to show you this. Uh, he actually, uh, created this CD. He, he learned how to sing and yodel, yodel in German. And he, um, he would go around to, um, like rest homes and, um, weekly to go to rest homes and like places where people had Alzheimer's and he would perform. And, you wow. know, here's a guy that was like a multi, multi-millionaire and he would go over there and he would just care about people and he would go over there and he would sing for them and yodel and they just got a kick out of it. And I remember my father and mother were on a mission, a church mission, and um, his brother, my uncle, was in a rest home. And before he left, my dad says, I want you to give you an assignment. And I said, well, what's that assignment? And he said, I want you to go visit my brother every day in the in Provo, Utah, in a rest in the rest home, and I want you to shave him every day and comb his hair and wash his face and brush his teeth. He had um, MS, and he oh, was wow. in a chair and he couldn't do anything. And so mm -hmm. I went every day for a year when my dad was on his mission and um, took care of my uncle and visited him. Now this it was really incredible. Now here's the other thing: is my uncle was very abusive um, to my dad growing up physically and he was mean oh, to geez. him and my dad just treated him so good and my dad was like go do this for him and he so he was very forgiving he had this huge heart and he loved people well which which ties into a major takeaway from your book where he was very your dad Hal Wing was very focused on uh, what was the quote if if you build the person yeah yeah there's a there's a was little um there's a little quote and it's actually physically screwed into the building a little giant it says if you concentrate on building the business and not the man you will not achieve but if you build mm. the man you achieve both and so That's powerful 
Yeah, it's just really cool. I mean, it's um, when my dad, uh, after he passed away, he was inducted into a little thing from the Utah County. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think of what this was. It was the, it was the something to do with the Utah County Chamber of Commerce. And my dad was put into this pillar of the valley. Every year they put somebody in there and Stephen R. Covey's in there and you know, my dad and all these wow. high rollers are in there. And my dad goes in there, you know, after he'd passed away and the governor of Utah came and spoke. I'll never forget this. He said, Hal Wing always told people he was in the ladder business, but that's not true. Hal Wing was in the people business. And so I thought that was really a great quote from Governor Gary Herbert, who, who was a great governor. But he said, no, don't don't believe anything about how being in the latter business, he really was in the people business. And it really came through with the stories from the interviews that you did, uh, like, like the lady that shared at his funeral about the house that he bought for. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he, he was so dedicated to service without getting the attention for service. Yeah. And he, he had this perception. <clears throat> um, he, he, he knew when people needed him, like for example, <clears throat> there is a story in the book about one of our salesmen. Um, excuse me, I just had a little frog, but one of our salesmen, um, this is a story in there. There was a canal that broke behind his house and it flooded his house and his entire house got filled with mold and, and the canal had all these lawyers, the, the irrigation company, and they, they basically just, you know, wouldn't pay for this mess and so he ended up suing him. The salesman of ours ended up suing him and it cost him hundreds of thousands of dollars. And he tells the story of, <clears throat> he says, I don't know. He goes, your dad knew about what I what was going on. But he said, one day he said, I was in the office and I passed your dad on that, on the how in the, in the, uh, in the hallway at little giant. And he said, your dad saw me stopped me and said, Mel, how's the fight going with the, you know, the irrigation company. And he says, well, boy, you know, these guys have a lot of lawyers and I've spent all this money and I, I don't know how much longer I can hang on. And he said, your dad pulled out of his pocket a check made out to me. He goes, a personal check made out to me for $10,000. Now, he, wow. just, he just said, how did your dad know that day? Because he goes, it was filled out. The check was already yeah. filled out, made out to me. And he goes, now, how did your dad know that that day I needed him. And he said, I don't know how he knew, but he knew. And he goes, cause the check was already made out. And he said, he handed me the check and said, keep fighting Mel, do not give up. And that really is the essence of Halloween. That guy was a fighter. He never gave up. And, and it showed in the way he drove cars and rode motorcycles too. I loved those stories. <laughs> oh yeah. It, it reminded me. So my dad and both my parents were, were kids of the great depression. Mm -hmm. And my dad and my best friend's dad, whenever one of them would get a new car, they'd toss the keys to the other one. He'd go out for a test drive and he'd come back and tell you what the what the max speed the car would drive yeah. at was. Yeah, I remember one time uh, we went on a motorcycle ride. This was on the street, not on dirt. And my I said, I wonder how fast this motorcycle is. We stopped for a minute to take a little break. And my dad says, let me ride it. And he came back and he says, it'll do 120. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, okay. I mean, I never got it going that fast, but he, he went <laughs> back and told me how fast it would go. So he, he loved the thrill of speed too. And, you know, he always, there, there's a story in there about, he loved horses. He always rode horses. And when he was younger, he worked for a doctor 
um, Dr. Parker and he would break horses for him. I mean, think about this. This is a guy in his teens that would break horses and he wow. loved the thrill of it. And later he ended up, uh, he loved this little ranch so much that he bought this ranch from, from the doctor and had his own ranch and, you know, it was his and, and, um, but, uh, he, he loved anything that had a little edge to it. Like he went to, uh, look for horses and he didn't just want to ride quarter horses because they were too, um, docile. So he went into Arabians. He wanted Arabians because they were kind of, you know, high spirited and well, they'd buck you off, you know, and, and he, he liked the challenge. Um, and he went to this big ranch in Utah and he's looking at these horses and the, the guy's like, Hal, this would be a good horse for you. You know, it's a beautiful animal. And my dad saw this horse and he wanted it. And he said, what about this horse? And he said, that horse will never be ridden by anyone. And my dad says, I'll take it. And he wrote it and broke it. And it was his favorite horse. So he loved a little yeah. challenge, right? Like that. He yeah. <laughs> Don't say can't anywhere within. Yeah. Yourself. Yeah. I mean, and, and one time in the book also, uh, one of his ranch hands, Terry said, your dad got bucked off a horse one day and it broke his ribs and he was so hurting so bad. And they came and picked him up in one of those side by side, you know, those little ATVs. And, mm -hmm. and he said, we took him to his house on this ranch and he said, about 20 minutes later, he called and said, come pick me up again. And, wow. and he was hurting. And Terry said, your dad said, get the saddle back on that horse. And he mounted that horse again and sat there on it and it didn't buck him off. And then he said, okay, take me back to my house. He wanted just to prove to that horse that, you know, he was going to ride it and he was the boss. And, and he, then he went back and he probably didn't even go to the hospital. He probably just recovered. <laughs> Cracked ribs and all. Yeah, he did it all the time. He'd he'd get hurt riding a crash in his dirt bike in a race or something and be in the hospital and he'd call one of his employees and say, Meet me around the back of the hospital in 10 minutes or 20 minutes, take me home. And they'd he'd sneak out of the hospital. <laughs> I got the impression that he had a first name base, it was on a first name basis with the emergency room. Oh yeah, they all knew who he was and, uh, <laughs> and uh, he was something else. But he, you know, he he loved to compete. He grew up on a farm. And um, my grandfather, that's where he learned how to work hard. My grandfather was a supervisor on the railroad. And then in his spare time, he farmed 11 acres in his spare time. My grandfather did. And this place. In was, addition to working full time on the railroad. Yes. And this place has wow. You know, they had horses, pigs. They had flowers, vegetables. My grandfather in the summer would bring every day would bring us fresh fruits and vegetables. And I think that he and then we also found out he would go and give widows fruits and vegetables and food. And I believe that's where my dad really um, saw mm -hmm. my grandfather doing this. And then my grandmother, she was just a little woman, but every night she would go and bathe the neighbor who was crippled and help him. And so, you know, he had these parents that were unbelievable givers and helpers. And that's, I think, where my dad learned how to do what he did. No question. Yeah, that's just amazing. What a great example, because we uh, culturally, we don't reinforce that type of, of service yeah you know we others. with these uh with these things right here that we have um oh. really it has it has made people um almost not even communicate anymore face to face and with each other and you know because everybody texts each other and even especially the younger generation but i think that's really one thing that's lacking with with young people today is they don't have the communication skills that we just had growing up. I mean, we, we had a phone, it was on the wall, right. But, you know, we would, we would talk to each other. We would, uh, you know, we would go over to each other's places and, 
And um, it, it, some of that's kind of lost today with the internet and with texting and all that. But, um, uh, you know, it is what it is. And, and they can also be good tools. You know, you can, you can stay in yeah. touch with people. But I think that face-to-face communication, and I grew, I was in sales forever and training and sales, you know, and I, I just have these relationships that I formed with people to this day. The other day I was talking to a, to a guy who was a huge customer of ours. Um, he, he was the head of safety for charter communications. And, um, now he's an author and I'm an author and he wrote, he, he read my book and called me and he's like, I'm so proud of you, but he, he writes some amazing books too, you know, some, uh, some fiction books and stuff. But anyway, you know, I, I don't know that, that communication, you know, I, I love people. I love to, to be with people. And, and I think we're missing a little bit of that today. Yep. A lot. A lot, especially after the great lockdown in 20. Oh, yeah. My, like I said, I have a son. He's 28. You call him, you won't answer his cell phone, you te- you know, and then two seconds later, he'll text you, What do you want? <laughs> and you go, I want to talk to you. And he's like, What do you need? You know, and I'm like, Pick up the phone. Yeah. So it's kind of crazy sometimes with the, these younger groups, you know. Yeah. You mentioned, you mentioned that you'd worked in sales for a long time. In your book, you talked about how you really started on the manufacturing floor at Little Giant Ladder. And also uh, scrub floors. Yeah, bathroom floors. Yeah, you know, I, I'll tell you what, I learned so much from, I worked for one company my entire career, 47 years working wow. for my father and with him. And one, my father was really smart, you know, he, he didn't, we weren't, didn't have this entitlement thing. We, we worked from the bottom, you know, from the bottom <clears> up. And I remember, man, cleaning toilets and sweeping the warehouse and, we had this one manufacturing, our very first manufacturing facility. We had bats and we had rats. And I remember my cousin, bats Michelle. And rats. Yeah, my cousin, Michelle. I mean, this place was just a hole in the wow. wall. My cousin, Michelle, she at lunch one time, she goes, oh, look at that little dog. You know, we were eating lunch and I, we all said, that's a rat. That's not a dog. But anyway, and then one time my dad had this, uh, he was our finance guy. He came walking through the manufacturing plant he didn't realize it but he had a bat on the back of his suit coat (laughs) oh and so we had these little bats and um that were there and they got they finally got rid of those they they were up in the top of the building and they once they all flew out one night they put these wire things up but you know we again growing up it was incredible because we started at the bottom we and i think my dad the reason why he did this was twofold it helped us to appreciate and uh, to appreciate all the people that were, you know, working for us and the hard work they did. And to, and then the second reason is that as we got into, you know, management and then we eventually, my brother and I took over the company, the ownership, it really helped us to know how everything functions and operates. Really the only the only job we never did there was in finance and, you know, we didn't have the degree for that. So but everything else, you know, we did customer service, we did sales, we did shipping, you know, receiving, um, welding. We did all kinds of things that were really, really fun, you know, and 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 helped us to figure figure out what we're doing. <laughs> how how did your perception of your role change over time as you went through those different experiences and had more and more responsibility within the company? That's a great question because, you know, uh, I was in a real u- unique situation and my brother was in a unique situation for the last, uh, I would say 15 years. We were not, neither one of us was the CEO of the company. My dad handpicked someone else to be the CEO of the company. 
And um, what was really interesting about that is the CEO, and he's still there as a CEO, he does not have one day of college. Um, and so my dad would like, wow. he would see the value in people. He had this really um, great uh, way to look at people. And you know how you and I, we'd look at some guy on the street, homeless, say, say we look at this homeless guy, we're like, oh, look at this guy, you know, he's pathetic or whatever. I mean, I, I, we wouldn't do that, but we would look at him and go, oh, you know, he's, he must have a drug problem or he's. Well, yeah. I mean, I wonder, cause we used to, for several yeah. reasons we're not currently doing, we used to go down to Skid Row once a month in LA. Yeah. And, and I, it's always that, that, and I've seen some great examples of people getting their lives turned around, getting control of their lives, getting it turned around. But there's always, it leads me to that question going, you know, what's the story yeah. for this person that, that led them to here? You know, what's that story of their life and how they ended up in the situation that they're in? Yeah. And so Hal Wing, that's Hal Wing would look at people and he would see them not in their current situation, but he would see the potential in them. So he took a guy like Ryan Moss, who's the current CEO, a little giant. And he mentored him and he's like, I see potential in this guy. And he eventually he runs the company. So it was really interesting. Here you have me and my brother who are the sh majority shareholders of the company. And we have Ryan Moss, who's the CEO. And um, I remember when uh, when my father passed away, Ryan came to my brother and I and he's like, do I need to start looking for another job? And, <laughs> and we're like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, you guys own the business now. Um, the majority we wow. had. You know, and we're like, no, you're doing a good job. You know, you're you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And then we did what we're, you know, what we're good at. And so I think Hal Wing was really good at putting the people, the right people in the seats of the bus. And, um, you know, he realized that, hey, my sons, both of them have other talents. Um, you know, I worked in uh, a lot of sales leadership, um, hiring, firing sales guys, training them and did a lot of big jobs, big sales uh, assignments myself. My brother was really good. Uh, with um, legal matters. And so he handled a lot of legal matters. And then he was um, oversee oversaw the entire infomercial. And then he'd worked on international sales and he was good at that. I, I want to I ask about the infomercial. Before we do that, just want to give a shout out to Jerry Eisenhower, who's joining us as well. It says, Doug sharing the fantastic story of Hal Wang, an American success story. So true. Yeah, Jerry's a great, great man. Uh, him and his wife, Cheryl, they were out here a couple of weeks ago and I visited with them, had breakfast. And uh, yeah, they're very successful, too. They're they're awesome. But uh, well, great leaders in their in their own right, because they're doing a lot to help others. Yeah. Oh, they do. Which, which yeah. is which is a theme that yeah. I see amongst a lot of successful entrepreneurs. You know, they're helping others lift mm -hmm. up, you know, helping others succeed and see how far uh, how far they can go on their runway, as, as Jack Welsh used to say. Yeah. The, no, going back. Yeah, exactly. Going back to the infomercial. Yes. You know, a, lot, a lot of people saw that and they're like, man, little giant was really rocking and rolling, which we were, but the, the great story um, before the infomercial uh, and this story also talks about how wings willingness to risk it all, which he did several times um, at that time that we filmed that we, that we did the infomercial um, before that, a lot of people don't know that Little Giant was almost out of business. I mean, we were in a bad economy and um, we had increased competition come in at half the price of ours. And so our patents oh, were running out. And so our sales sunk to an all time low. And we were I mean, we were just about done. And we were talking about ideas one day and, you know, what can we do? And, you know, um, I think it was Ryan Moss, our CEO, that said, hey, we know when we get in front of a customer and we do a toe-to-toe -to -toe sale, whether it's at a trade show or a home and garden show or a state fair or whatever, we're successful, right? We, we can close a certain many amount of people. 
and we have this demo demonstration down, we have a close down, we can answer objections. Mm -hmm. And so we thought, what if we take this to a whole new level and do an infomercial? But there was only one problem. We didn't have the money to do an infomercial. Mm. And when that happened in 2013, 2014, they were $1 million. And so here's the company. We don't have the money. Wow. So we, go, we go to Hal Wing and we, we say, you know, we go to my dad, Hal Wing, and we say, hey, we think this will work. And we're like about ready to, you know, implode here as a company. It's your company. Um, we, we, we know this infomercial. We think it'll work, and, but we need a million dollars. And my dad's like, all right, I'll mortgage my farm. He had this farm that I talked to you about earlier. He walked into yeah. the and he mortgaged the thing and we got the money and it was, and he, and so my dad actually he literally bet the farm. He bet the farm. My dad was the star uh, of the show. And they, when mm -hmm. he first went on the set, they had this like script this big. And my dad goes, I'm not going to memorize a script. He goes, I know exactly what to do. Roll the cameras. And he was just a natural. He got on there. He did it. And the, uh, the first year that we did this infomercial, we, um, four times our sales the next year, we four times did again. And so we had this just astronomical success, not only with the infomercial, but only if you, if 10 people see an infomercial, only two people will buy it on the infomercial. The other eight people will go to retail and buy it because they want to touch it. They want to stand on it. They want to feel it. They want to see if it's for real. So everybody everything went crazy. You know, we had Home Depot, we had all these big companies that came to us. I mean, we were selling ladders and linens and things and bed, bath and beyond because people were just going everywhere for ladders. I mean, for little giant bed, bath and beyond for ladders bed, bath, and beyond had them in there and they were selling them and linens and things. Yeah. I mean, this is like, a and this is a, in a, as you mentioned, it's a premium product. Yeah. Premium product. I mean, we had you know, we, the, we had map pricing, which means everybody sold at the same price, minimum advertising, okay. including Home Depot. And, um, and it was incredible. So the company just went crazy. And, um, you know, what was really neat about it was, is that um, during this infomercial, Hal made a lot of money because he said, I'll just take $10 for every ladder I sell. Uh, on the infomercial, which you think about, <laughs> we went from producing 400 ladders a day to 7,000. And so my dad made this, he, he had this little slush fund that he, where he made all this money and guess what he did with that money? He went and helped people. It was incredible. It was incredible. Wow. Yeah. And that, um, I just queued up the infomercial. Would you mind if I'm watching the clock? We're, we're just about <clears throat> 30 minutes in. Yeah, you can uh, play it. You want, you want to play a little portion of it or something? Yeah. I was just going to play a couple seconds. It's where they inter introduce your dad. <clears throat> yeah. Excuse me. Yeah, and watch, watch this earlier. It's an amazing infomercial. It's very well watch, done. Yeah, and just notice the passion that this guy has for his company, the self-belief he had. It's incredible. Yeah, you can go ahead. Giant ladder. The ladder man himself, our friend Hal Wing. Richard, how are you? Hal? Hal, Robin. good to see you. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Oh, we're glad to have you. Thank you. Now, I'm sure our viewers out there are trying to figure out what makes this ladder so special. Can you show them just how special this ladder is? Absolutely. I'd love to. I guess the best place to start is right here with the hinge. It's the strongest point of the ladder. We'll hold it at 1,200 pounds, and it's so easy to use. Just by using the hinge, you can put it in the storage position, or you can open it back up just like that. And the nice thing about it is it won't close up on you, it won't pull apart on you, and there are no spreader bars to get in your way. It's all done right here in the hinge. Now, by using that hinge, 
combined with these lock tabs, you're looking at. He makes it look so easy. Yeah. He's only five foot seven. He wasn't a big man, but. Wow. Yeah. Because that goes on to, you know, he completely extends it. That's a 17 feet long when totally extended. 17 feet, 17 feet long. Yeah. Yeah. It's and just, uh, the whole infomercial is amazing. And you're right. Watching his passion. It, it and I could see how he honed his presentation from mm -hmm. so many years of selling ladders, you know, going from door to door to selling them at trade shows, yeah. which was something I wanted to ask about. Because I go to so many trade shows, in, in and I've been in trade shows booths myself and experienced not a whole lot of selling going on. And a lot of times it seems like the people present, you know, that, that pay for the trade show booth space aren't really necessarily that prepared. To sell. Yeah, no, yeah, you're exactly you, right. You, a lot of times, they were very successful with that. Yeah, a lot of times, you know, guys will just be kind of standing around talking to people, and they'll collect. You know, they'll use it as like a lead gen, maybe get cards and then follow up later. But man, when we were working at Little Giant and we were doing, when we were doing those shows, I mean, we had all had our presentation down, and and we sold right then and there on the spot. You know, so and they they kept track of every show. We did over 400 shows a year, and they would keep track wow. of how many shows they sold. Yeah, so we had this guy, his name was Clark Butler. He was the sales manager for the shows. And he was one of the he was the first salesman my dad ever hired. And if you went and did a show with him, he would sit down with you and he'd say, Okay, at this show you're going to, let's say it's the New England Home and Garden show or something. He would say they sold 50 ladders there last year. You know, what's gonna be your goal? You gotta sell, you know, 60 or whatever it is, 70. So you you'd go out there with a goal. And then I'll tell you what, if you came back and you didn't hit your numbers, man, you had to answer to Clark. And, uh, wow. you know, he was, he was, he would just, he would, man, he would bust you bad. And, uh, and you know, like sometimes you'd go out to a show and there'd be a blizzard and nobody showed up and you'd go and tell Clark, oh, I had a, you know, there was a blizzard and he's like, oh, that's no excuse. You could have sold to some people that were there. You know, he would, he was pretty <laughs> hardcore, man. I mean, he was like, but he was such a good example. He went and did all these shows and he had all the records. I mean, and this guy had 13 uh -huh. kids. And um, wow. 13 kids, and I, I respected his wife so much because he was gone on the road a lot. And that's one thing people don't realize is that when I was in junior yeah. high and high school, my dad was gone over 300 days a year. And, you know, he we missed a lot of outings with my dad. But when he came home, he spent a lot of time with us, and and he was just such a good guy. But he he worked his, he just worked his rear end off to get this company where it was. And, and you know, he, he paid the price with his health. He didn't really take as good a care of himself as he should have. And and he only lived to be 72. So, but he, mm. I mean, the guy, the guy lived nine lives, I'm telling you. And he, he lived a full life. Yeah. No, my, my dad had a similar arc. He, he started out working for the railroad due to a back injury from an industrial accident, switched careers, survived World War II. But same thing, up 71, almost made his 72nd birthday. Yeah. My dad was such a hard worker. One time he was telling me that he worked for a, he worked for a, trucking company and he was you know making hauls and stuff and they actually told him he was working too hard because <laughs> he was part of a union <laughs> and they said you're making us all look bad and you got to slow, down. slow and, down yeah and he anyway he said i'm not gonna slow down but he got he got canned because he worked too hard <laughs> so I, I wanted to come back to to the impact of the of the infomercial because mm -hmm. it really drove a lot of sales and that can that can be you know there's two huge challenges that I've heard from entrepreneurs, you know, it's getting sales in the door in the first place. But then when you hit that hockey stick, being able to, to, to deliver, survive basically on, on a big spike in business, especially the 
short term, we can absorb a lot of times, but when it's long term, that creates its own challenges. How did you, how were you successful when so many struggle in being able to respond to such a huge increase in sales in a short period of time? Well, what we did was we have really good people. And so we went from doing one shift, um, making 10, four 10 hour days, one shift, as, as I mentioned, 400 ladders a day to 24, six, three shifts a day, 7,000 total. And so wow. what it was, yeah, what was, what was really good about this for the company is, is that number one, we had so much money that was coming in that we were able to ramp up and do all this without zero debt. So it really benefited the company that we were able to, um, go into this new mode of being debt free. And then we ended up taking some of our key people from the, that knew about the quality because my dad was like, we can't, we can't um, cut quality. We have to keep our quality high. And so we would take some of the key people off of the first shift and we put them on the graveyard and swing shifts and made them supervisors and team leads so that we could keep our quality good. But the other thing that we did too, was we knew that the infomercial wouldn't last forever. And, that, you know, we couldn't sustain a lot of these numbers that were just incredible. And so we went and invested back in the company and took a lot of the cash from these proceeds. And, and, and we okay. did, we innovated and we created this entire new line of fiberglass, this lightweight technology. Oh. And we basically went into all these different verticals and made the mm -hmm. company so much stronger. And so that when we knew that if, when that ever kind of plateaued down a little bit, um, uh, it, and it totally worked because we spent a lot of money on new patents and design and technologies, but it made the company so much stronger and, you know, to where it was, where it is today. And so there was a lot of good things that we did. Yeah. Well, in your book, you also mentioned that, uh, you developed the capability to make your own fiberglass mm -hmm. in response to supply chain issues. Yeah. That was one thing that was really cool about, you know, my dad and kind of how he's just like, Hey, if we, if somebody else can't do it for us, we'll just do it ourselves. And so that goes, this goes back to Ryan Moss, who is our CEO. In fact, okay. you know, I worked really closely with Ryan on this new fiberglass project. And we hired this guy from, uh, I think he was from like Alcoa or someplace. And he says, Oh yeah, I can, I can, I can promise you we can build this new, you know, design these machines and, and make this new fiberglass and he couldn't do it. And so Ryan fired him and Ryan gathered all the machinists together and he goes, we're not leaving this place until we figure this out. And I don't care if we have wow. to work 14 hours a day. And guess what? We figured it out. And we, we came up with the, you know, our own, we designed and made our own intrusion machines. And, um, it was even so designed the machinery to manufacture or yeah, to fabricate have, the, the fiberglass. Yes, yeah. And little giant wow. has their own machine shop. So, we made our own machines and dyes and we, we, you know, we can service our own um, dyes and stuff and it, it, we don't have to any downtime. We don't have to go to a machine shop. And so we designed all this stuff, did it all ourselves. And man, Ryan is a genius. I mean, this is a guy that has a high school education that's doing all this and you know, he's just so smart. And, um, and, uh, and so again, this goes back to how wing, he knew where the, you know, to look and find the talent and put him in the right mm -hmm. place. And he, he knew that there was guys that were smarter than him and he didn't have this big an ego that he knew, okay, I'm, I still own this company, but I need to surround myself with these good people who are going to lift me up higher and help me. And, you know, everybody lifts, everybody lifts and everybody wins. And he was such a good guy after this infomercial, there's a great story in the book. I'm in a management meeting with my brother and Ryan and our CFO and my dad walks in to a, a management meeting and he says, I want to give back to the employees. And we're like, what's on your mind? And he goes, I want to take a million dollars 
out of the company and give it back to every employee based on how long they've worked there, what their position is. And I want to do all these bonuses. And he looks at the CFO and he goes, what do you think? And the CFO goes, I wouldn't do it if I were you. And he goes, that's a lot of money. And my dad looks at him. He goes, I don't care what you think. He goes, do we have the money? Can we do it? And he goes, yeah, how we have the money. And he goes, well, then I'm going to do it. So, <laughs> you know, cause he, he just loved his people. And I'm telling you, yeah. So as a management team, we went down the list of everybody and what they would get. And mm -hmm. my dad called. But, and then personal, but it was a very personal experience yeah. too. We actually yeah, gave him dad, envelopes. Exactly. My dad calls everybody in this huge meeting and tells them all about it. And people are like a standing ovation and their people are crying. And my dad knew every employee by name, over 400 people. And he handed out every um, people lined up and he handed out every check. Uh, and we, you know, management was there with him and we, I mean, we, everybody got hugged and people were crying and it was, I'm telling you what people, that's why we have such loyalty at little giant is yeah. Al was so good to his people. They were good to him. And, and, and that statement on the building is so true, build people and they'll help you. And, um, man, mm. he, had, mm. he had guys that have worked for us building ladders, literally wearing out their bodies, there's guys in their fifties and sixties that are, you know, still there and getting ready to retire. And they're still there because of one, one person. And that was Hal Wing, the way he treated them and the culture there, this, this, the culture at little giant is totally family oriented and um, unbelievable place to work. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, actually putting the values in action. Oh yeah. This, I mean, every meeting we had at this place, every meeting we had at little giant, we had a word of prayer at the beginning of every meeting. And that's my dad started that. And there's been a couple of other places that I, that I went to as a, as a representative little giant, like a couple of distributors where we went, um, I went on some sales calls with people where we would have a prayer and, but only a very, very few. And I thought, man, yeah. this is really cool, you know? And, um, he, he definitely believed in a higher power and, um, he said, we need all the help we can get. And, um, he, he was just a great man. Yeah. Yeah, the um, had a chance to participate in a meeting with uh, with the Cathys from um, Chick the founders of Chick Fil A. Oh yeah, when they opened their first store in the Los Angeles area, and they're they're like that as well. It wasn't real popular with the Chamber of Commerce in Los Angeles, but they, yeah. they kind of oh. insisted. It just makes such a different tone. Yeah, in, in in the room, different you know sets the perspective. Yeah, when my dad was mayor of Springville, you know, he started all the me the meetings with prayer, and he he got phone calls. He got letters from the, was it ACLU or somebody that said, Hey, you can't have meetings. Yeah. These are public. You can't have prayer before meetings and we're going to sue you. And he's like, go ahead. And they never did, but he just like, he didn't stop. I mean, he's, he's just like, we're doing Good. this. So yeah, he was great. He, you know, he believed in his principles and he stuck to them and, and he was, you know, we would have real Christmas parties there, but he was very sensitive other, of other people who mm -hmm. maybe didn't believe in Christ or, or weren't religious. And he would always, before he read the story in Luke about Christ's birth, he would read that personally out of the Bible. And he would say, Hey, we're, this is a Christmas party. And if you're not comfortable, you know, you might want to just step outside for a few minutes and then come back in. He was really good about it. So, yeah. Sharing with not forcing on. Yeah. He was just so great. Yeah. But you know, here's a guy that would in these Christmas parties would just get choked up and, be in tears and tell everybody how much he loved them and appreciated them, man. I, I'll tell you what, these, some these employees would climb mountains for this guy, you know? Yeah. Well, in, in engagement, employee engagement is such a huge issue with companies today. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. Studies show it's like 
38% are actually really engaged. On well, yeah, you're right. Like, it's like most, wow, you know, I'm telling you, most bosses, most business owners, they walk through the front door, they maybe muffle something to a few people and they go in their office, close the door. And then when they're, you know, if they leave at lunch or whatever, you know, they leave and they're gone. And um, Hal Wing, seriously, he would pull in. He loved cars. So he'd have this little place where he'd pull in and he could park his cars, but he would go through the back door and he would walk his way through manufacturing, check everything out, make sure it was clean. Mm -hmm. And he would stop along the way. It took him an hour sometimes. He would talk to every person, shake their hand, hug them, see how they're doing, you know, if there's anything going on. And then he'd work his way up and he'd be in his office. He's such a people guy. And I remember one time, uh, my dad loved watches. He, he loved watches, real nice watches. And there's a Spanish guy that was working there. Um, he still works there. His name is Gabriel. And we call him Gabi. And he's got one of those big Invicta watches on. Gabi does. He's running the saw. You know, he's he runs the saw and cuts these aluminum extrusions down. And Hal Wing walks up to him and says, hey, Gabi, I love your watch. And um, Hal says to him, will you trade me watches? And my dad's wearing like a $50,000 Rolex watch, pulls it off, gives it to Gabi and trades watches with him and walks off. I'll never forget. Gabriel is like, oh my gosh. This guy puts his watch on. My, he's got my dad's Rolex on, and he's still cut, yeah. cutting materials. I'm like, dude, you know how much money that watch is worth? <laughs> and um, he's just smiling. I don't even know if he knew how much it was worth, but you know, he traded watches with him that day. He's just the kind of guy he was. He just had just a heart of gold, you know? Yeah. Well, deep relationships. You've yeah. mentioned that several times about the relationships you've built throughout your career and how, you know, and how those have, have been solid yeah. long-term and, and have led in some surprising direction sometimes. Yeah. It's uh, you know, I always tell people the last five years of my career at little giant um, I was involved in, you know, selling about $150 million worth of fiberglass ladders to the wow. cable, cable business. It was huge, but I never asked for a PO one time in five years, which was incredible. Our products were, so good this new lightweight technology we were twice as much money as other ladder companies but we were half the weight and so we saved so much money in claims on people's shoulders and backs yep that it was a no-brainer i mean these safety guys they ended up we took over the whole cable market and what was funny is is jeffrey is uh the biggest ladder company in the world the ceo walks up to me after five years and they laughed at us when we came up with this lightweight ladder nobody wants this you guys are idiots you know i mean literally laughed at us and made fun of us yeah five years later the the chairman of this big company comes up and he goes man doug he goes you guys didn't just take some of the cable business you took it all <laughs> and i said yes we took it all because we listened and we built what the customer wanted and he's like well we're gonna get the business back you know and i was like okay good luck and then they ended up exactly they tried to build, you know, lightweight ladders after they laughed at us and they could never figure out within 10 pounds, we were always lighter than them. They bought our products, they reversed engineer them. They couldn't figure out what we were doing. And so I, I really learned a valuable lesson in listening to the customer and providing what they want and what their why is. Their why was they were having all these accidents. People couldn't carry the ladders. They were dropping them. They were smashing them in people's houses. They were hurting their backs and shoulders. And it was costing them millions of dollars in workman's comps and surgeries and time off. And we solved that problem for us. They went ahead and bought a ladder that was twice as much money, but twice the weight 
less weight and they were still, it was saving them millions of dollars. So it's a, there's a big lesson there and listen to people, mm-hmm. do what, you know, provide what they need and then develop the relationships. Never had to ask for an order. It was, it was fun. <laughs> well, and that, in that message of listening to people to understand what is it they really need, what the, what problems they're yeah. really trying to solve and how you can help them with that is, is even more important during high inflation cycles like we're in right now. It is. And our company, Little Giant, always did well in high inflation and high recession. Really? We had quality. And I think when push mm-hmm. comes to shove and money's tight, people, a lot of companies and people will buy quality because they know it'll last. So, but yeah, that's a, there's a big lesson mm-hmm. there in listening and providing quality. And um, I'll tell you what, in that cable market, Whenever they needed another ladder, guess who they called? They called us because they knew we would build it for them. And it was really funny because they had these meetings every six months as the cable companies all met together, the safety guys. Even though they were competitors, they had the same problems. And so they had relationships. And all the other ladder companies were complaining that they were not invited to these meetings, but that we were the only ones invited is because we had the relationship. And we provided the products they wanted. And so they were mad. They were mm-hmm. like, this isn't fair. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> the funny thing is, is they- earn the right though. Yeah, the cable market came to them before they came to us. And they told mm-hmm. them, we'll build these lightweight ladders. And they lied and blew them off. And so we we just did what we were asked. And we had the business and we did it well, you know. So there's a big, le- there's a big lesson there. Listen. And like you said, listen to, re- don't listen to respond to people, but listen to validate. So, you know, most sales guys, they just sit there and they're all excited and they just want to respond and talk too much. That's why God gave you two ears and one mouth. And so most sales guys, especially guys like car salesmen, man, you know, they're just so they won't, they just need to listen and just not be pushy and talk so much. Well, and and having broad sales training and experience Mm. not just with the sales team, but within the company, I think helps a lot too. I'm a recovering engineer. Yeah. So for a big chunk of my career, I didn't think in terms of sales, even though uh, I was involved in, in, you know, fixing problems within companies, disrupting things that weren't working. So there was, there was a sales pitch happening there. It took me a long time to catch on to it because I hadn't had the, the sales training or the experience. And I look back on it and go, you know, one of the things that would have been the most valuable difference I could have made when I was younger would have been to seek sales opportunities. Mm-hmm. out of high school instead my first job while i was still in high school i had a part-time job when i was 14 shoveling dirt yeah to, to mix soil for it for a horticulturist that grew um uh seasonal flowers mm-hmm. and um that, yeah, that sales that, experience yeah i i think that's one thing that is missing missing a little bit today is that you know this the work ethic um i think a lot of parents want their kids to have a better life than they have mm-hmm. but but I think they've gone a little bit too far and spoiled them a little bit too much. You know, um, I'll tell you what, there were times I didn't like the people that were my bosses at Little Giant when I was younger and I was a teenager and I was building ladders yeah. and it was hot and sweaty and working hard. And man, they rode us hard and worked us hard. But now looking back on it, I'm like, oh, I'm so grateful that I learned how to work, you know, that uh, hard like that and everything. And, and I think that that physical, I remember one time we were hiring at Little Giant and we were just, there were a couple of times we were just looking for anybody to work. I mean, we just needed bodies. And this one young guy walk, comes in, it's a true story. This guy walks in and he goes, if I get this job, do I have to get sweaty? 
And we're like, absolutely, you're going to be in production, you're going to be lifting, you're going to be running presses and putting things together. And he just looked right at us and goes, I'll just go get another job where I don't have to get sweaty. And so, you know, Holy cow. there's some of that mentality today where like, eh, you know, I mean, you got these kids coming out of college and they want, you know, six figure plus incomes, a big house, the cars and man, you know, those things, you can get those things eventually, but it takes time. And, you know, those aren't really the important things in life. I mean, I've been way successful yeah. in life, but, but, you know, I, here's the thing, people really are more important than things and, and the things you know, my dad has a great quote that says, none of the things that we have are even going to matter a hundred years from now. But what will matter is how we treat each other, um, how we act, what we think. Yep. And those things he said for sure will matter in the end. And, and you know, I was, cause I was talking with someone about this earlier today, a client that I had uh, a number of years ago, giant um, electronics manufacturer from Japan mm-hmm. during our out briefing from the project, that we did for them. They talked about their comp, the vision for their company 400 years in the future. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, that was almost a spit coffee on the conference table moment for me. They're like 400 years, but it came down to what you were just talking about. Cause they said, well, it made us think it made, it forced us to think what is it that we can really legitimately mm-hmm. talk about. That's just not fantasy that yeah. far into the future. And it was about values service to the community how the community responds and, and views the company, which drove their thinking and, and decisions they were making opportunities that they pursued quarter by quarter. Yeah. I never, you know, one thing I, I really loved about my dad was that I never really saw him real angry or, I mean, there were times where he was a little bit upset, but I never heard my dad swear. Um, he, he always said, before you get mad, stop and ask yourself this question is whatever is bugging you right now, you know, 30, 40, 50 years from now, it will it matter. And if you think about it in that way, the answer is usually no, it's not going to matter. And so he, he had a real level, cool, calm head about him, but he, you know, he could get in people's faces a little bit and breathe a little fire Mm -hmm. if he needed to. But the one thing about my dad was if he did get, if he did get after you about something, he would always come back later and show you an increase of love. Um, I remember a couple of times like growing up, I got in trouble because my room was messy or whatever. And he was, he was mad at me and he would always come back maybe, um, you know, a half an hour, 45 minutes later and tell me, this is why I got upset. And then he would tell me, I love you. You know, you're my son. And he was just such a, you know, I mean, he, he was incredible that way. He, he was so good with people. Um, he, you know, he trusted people, but he verified too. There's a really cool story. I met a guy. <laughs> I met a guy yeah. I met a guy from a bank one time. Um, I don't remember where I was. I think I was in um, Bank of Utah one time and it, with our new business and they wanted our business, um, banking business. And he goes, Hey, you know, I met your dad one time and I did a business loan for him. He goes, you want to hear the story about that? And I said, Oh yeah, I love stories. And he goes, your dad came in and he goes, he was very matter of fact. This is how much money I want. These are the terms. This is the interest rate. And um, this is what we need it for, for this equipment. And he's like, your dad was very uh, in a hurry. And he's like, I don't like to wait for loans and to be in the bank very long. So these are the terms. If you can do the deal, put it all together. I want to just come in and sign it and um, be gone. So he goes, the day came that your dad... I called your dad. Hey, the loan's ready. You know, the loan's approved. The check's ready. Come in and sign the papers. 
and this is back in the probably 80s when <clears throat> um when you know loans were like this you know it was like a business loan so it was like a home you know, remember yeah. when you had, a, you had to sign all those mortgage papers now yep. you do it all electronically but he goes i remember your dad came in he was in a real hurry and he goes your dad goes to the first page to the back and he's got his pen and he's going to sign it and he goes how 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 wait he goes aren't you going to read through this and he goes i'll never forget this he goes your dad looked up at me with this serious look in his eye and he said if everything that what we talked about is not in this document this will be the last time we ever do business together and he signed it and he took the check and walked off wow and he goes, what I learned from your dad that day was you can get me once, but basically if you, you know, if you fool me on this deal, we'll never do business again. And he goes, I'm so grateful that everything I, your dad wanted, I did for him. But he goes, your dad was like, okay, you can, you might be able to get me once, but we'll never do business again. If you, if you don't, if you mm. mess me over on this deal. And he goes, your dad signed it, grabbed this check and he was gone. And so he said, Man, I he goes, I was just so impressed by your dad, but he goes, he didn't sign, he didn't read it, he just left, you know. So well, it, and we we spend so much time and money. Uh, Sandy Archer hey, saying Sandy. hello, joining us. Yeah, she's she's awesome. Sandy, thanks for being part of the conversation. But yeah, you know, here's this guy, and he said, I just learned that day then and there that if I was dishonest or unethical, that was it. I had one chance yeah. at it. So he goes, yeah. Man, your dad taught me a great lesson that day. <laughs> and he used well, to I say, think... Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say my dad, you know, told me a couple of times, patience is a waste of time. And I always said, dad, I thought it was one of the virtues in the Bible. And he said, but meaning that he was, you know, like he was in a hurry. Right. And um, yeah, when he went, you know, when he uh, when he was after something, he did not waste time and he made haste and he walked fast. He did everything fast. He was in a hurry. And, um, you know, he he uh, he did it quickly and, and got it done. Well, and that was a story that someone was telling about you uh, recently that you walk fast too. Yeah, that was Jerry Eisenhower. I had breakfast with him and, and Cracker Bro, and I met him. And um, and he was like, I was watching you walk in here. And he goes, I can't believe how fast you walk. And then when Ken Walls was out here, he was like, dude, what's the hurry? Why are you walking so fast? I said, <laughs> I don't know. But when I was with my dad, you had to keep up with him. And he was just incredible. He would just be in a hurry. And he always said, we're burning daylight. You know, he, and he meant it. I mean, you know, he, he, when he had fun, he did it quickly. And when he worked, he did it quickly. And he was always in a hurry. Yeah. You know, Scott Ricard is a great, great guy. And um, he bought more books of my, he bought more of my books than any other person. He bought 12 books. And what I love about Scott is he's been handing those out to people, uh, friends and associates and sharing it. And I'm grateful, Scott. I, I really appreciate it. Look at those uh, little schnauzers he's got in there. Those are cute dogs. Yeah, they're very smart. Dude, we had one of those. Glad you're joining us, Scott. Thank you. And Sandy's saying she walks fast too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um I just, had to learn to slow down and stroll at, when I'm walking with my wife. Because she's like, yeah. hey, so well, well, there's there's you know, context and timing, right? They're very important. Yeah. You like if you went on a vacation with my dad, he he would just show you all, you know, like he would take people to Europe. That was what was really incredible is he would take employees to Europe. Like my mom and dad would take really? a couple. He would take a couple with them to Europe. He would pay for the entire vacation. Plus he would pay them as if they were still working for the company while they were gone. Incredible boss. Pay for the vacation and still pay him their salary. 
Exactly. Yeah, he would take. Uh, wow. He would, he would say to people, "Hey, you want to go to Lake Powell with me?" Um, and we'll take our houseboat and boat and everything. And they'd be, yeah. And he was like, okay. And he would pay them and pay for everything. When you were with my dad, you could not pay for a meal. He, he would beat you to it every time. He was such a giver. He was, he was incredible. <laughs> great boss. Yeah. Great boss. Great leader. Yeah. He, he was just, it was, you could not pay for a meal when you're with Al Wing. I mean, he was great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the things I appreciated in reading your book was it, it just, shows how great of a relationship that you had with your dad. Yeah. Which, which is something I've, as I've gotten older, I, I had a good relationship with my dad growing up. He set a good example. He was a good mentor. Um, but I see so many guys, particularly just speaking for the men, because that's been my experience. Mm-hmm. I see so many guys that didn't have that growing up and it just deepens my appreciation for that. And it just seems to have such a big impact and makes and makes such a big difference. Yeah, I had a real good relationship with my dad. That doesn't mean that we didn't see eye to eye all the time because no, um, yeah, same, same most, experience I had. But yeah, for still. the most part, we did. And you know, I had a real tender moment with my dad before he passed away. And um, you know, he he, some of my other siblings, you know, they'd kind of had their ins and outs with my dad. And but I remember one time right before my dad died, he he got all choked up, and I was choked up. And he said, you know, there's one thing about our mm-hmm. relationship. He goes, there's nothing between us. And he goes, when we see each other again, we'll be able to hug and kiss on each other. And it was just a tender moment right before my dad died. And he's like, you've always just been, you know, a true blue son. And I mean, it was a great, it was kind of a very tender moment with my father, but, um, you know, and, and we were both choked up about it, but it was, it was really neat. You know, he said, uh, you know, that we'll have a very nice reunion uh, when we see each other again. Pleasant. Yeah. Um, tough tough as nails, but still, you know, still tender and from the heart. He was, like I said, he was, you know, he, my dad knew that at the end, you know, he'd had a lot of heart issues and things and Mm -hmm. he knew he was going to die. And, um, one, one thing that was so impressive about my dad was, um, is that story at the very end, um, of his life where, you know, he could have said, Hey, I want to go to Hawaii or I want to, he loved going to Europe. I want to go to Europe or I want to go to my house and and whatever, or drive one of my cars. No, that's not, that's not what he did. He, he checked himself out of the hospital, got home and cleaned up and put on one of his finest suits. And he was, he was as white. His face was as, as white as a sheet of paper. And he was so weak, he couldn't walk. And he was in one of those little jazzy things, you know, that you drive. He said, I want to go talk to my people, my employees. And he gathered everybody together and he spoke in that little jazzy he could not even stand and he said goodbye to everybody and he told them how much he loved them and appreciated them and he was in tears and everybody was in tears he went home he went back to the hospital and a few days later he passed away and so i'm thinking here's a guy that says he knows he's going to go but he says i want to go talk to my people i love them so much i want to say goodbye to him and he really did He, he just halloween um loved people and used money. Most people that you meet, they love money and use people, but not that. How was the other way around? You just love people and he used his resources to bless and help people. It was incredible. Yeah. In, in the entrepreneurial ranks, I've been impressed mm-hmm. with, with how that seems to be more true mm-hmm. in, in terms of, you know, where there's, where there's with entrepreneurs, there's, there's more of a heart, 
for yeah. people, which Mike, I think is, is one of the key factors for them being able to build the business in the first place. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite stories is just how quickly he could make friends and how generous he was. You know, I, I do this presentation now as I speak to companies and I have these little PowerPoints and one of them just introduces this story and it says um, a cowboy on a horse at a drive-in restaurant. People are thinking to themselves, what is this story? And um, well, and, and what a way to engage an audience too, because yeah. as soon as you said that, my response was, okay, I have to hear this. Yeah. So I interviewed this guy named Mike O'Reilly and um, he, he was, he, he moved from California to Utah. He started a restaurant. Mm-hmm. It was a drive-in restaurant. And um, he said, one day a guy pulls up middle of summer and he's on a horse. He's wearing shaps. He's wearing a 10 gallon hat. He's got a rifle with it that goes in one of those things. And he's got a rope, you know, to like he's looking for cows or something. And he says, he's riding this horse down Main Street. He pulls up to my drive in restaurant. The horse is sweaty. The guy's sweaty. And he says to his employees, I'm going to go out and see what this guy wants. I am interested. <laughs> this cowboy. And so he goes out and, um, he goes out, I'm just going to get a little something, but he goes out and he says, can I help you to him? And, um, he says, the cowboy says to him, yes, I'll take two large vanilla soft ice cream cones, soft serve ice cream, ice cream cones. So he goes inside, he's making these, they're making these cones and he's saying to his employees, what does the guy need two ice cream cones for? So he goes, I go out, I give the cones to the man. And he takes the first one and he puts it up the horse's mouth and the horse just engulfs and inhales this ice cream cone. And then the man eats the second one. And so Mike O'Reilly, the owner, goes back inside and prepares the, the, uh, the bill and comes back outside and gives the, uh, gives the cowboy the, his bill for the ice cream. And the cowboy looks on the glass at the restaurant and the restaurant says O'Reilly's on it. And, um, and, uh, he introduces himself. He says, I'm Mike O'Reilly. And the cowboy looks at the sign and says, is this your son? And there's a poster that says uh, fundraiser for Roa O'Reilly. So Mike's son Roa was a uh, all-star running back, high school running back, but he got leukemia and he needed a bone marrow transplant. Mm. And um, the cowboy says to him, now keep in mind, this is the first time these two men had ever met. The cowboy looks at him and goes, is this your son? Your son's got leukemia? And he goes, yeah, we're, we need a bone marrow transplant. And he says, the cowboy, Mike says, the cowboy reaches into his pocket and pulls out $5,000 in cash and hands it to me and said, this is for your son for his bone marrow transplant. That cowboy was Hal Wing. Wow. This right here is movie money um yeah it's fake but it's five thousand dollars and mike o'reilly says that day your dad was my best friend and he said i'm halloween and i agree with scott you know it's like wow what a man you know what a yeah the interesting thing the interesting thing about that story is is that mike o'reilly's son 
got the bone marrow transplant and uh, survived and is still alive today and doing well. The sad part about it is, is that Mike had to spend every dime he had to do that. And he lost his business. He lost his cars, was able to save his house. But guess where Mike O'Reilly went to work when he, uh, when he lost his business? Yes, little giant. He went to work for us and worked there until he retired. Mm. And so, you know, here's Halloween coming in again as a boss now. And here's an yeah. incredible here's an incredible story. He said, Mike says, the very first day <clears throat> I go to work, he goes, I pull up in this junky old truck because I lost my vehicles driving this old piece of junk car. He goes, your dad looked at me and he goes, you can't have a car like that and work for me. He goes, what do you want? What kind of a car do you want? Whoa. And he goes, well, he goes, um, he goes, I'd like a Dodge Ram truck. And he goes, you go and pick out the truck you want and I'll pay, you know, I'll make the monthly payments on it. And if you work for me for five years, the truck is yours. And he gives huh. it to him after five years. Yeah. Wow. That's the kind of man Hal Wing was. Yes. What a boss, what a man, you know? And so, I mean, Mike O'Reilly, I got to tell you this guy, he's this old Irish tough guy. And um, he punched out a guy once because he was wearing his little giant shirt. And the guy said, you work for Halloween. He's a dirty, rotten SOB. And Mike broke his nose and punched him out. <laughs> and, uh, then he ran home and he calls up my dad and he says, Hal, I think the police are looking for me. And he goes, well, what are you doing, Mike? He goes, well, you should have heard what a guy said about you. He says he was saying all these bad things, so I broke his nose. <laughs> and my dad goes, Mike, you cannot go around punching people every time they say something bad about me. Some people don't like me. I know, Hal, but you should have heard what he said about you. He says... And he goes, Mike, that's assault. You can go to jail. <laughs> but anyway, no, he didn't go to jail. But this guy defended. I mean, this guy loved my dad so much. He, yeah. He, he, yeah. Would, he would harm people <laughs> if said anything bad about him. But so anyway, um, you know, that's just there's so many good stories about uh, uh, along the way. And, and just uh, there is. I mean, there's hours and hours of stories. Oh, in, in, be on here you for you tell them so well in your book. Yeah. And they're fun to tell. I mean, I tell you, I did, I did my very first presentation to a business a couple of weeks ago in Utah and I, I shared three stories and this was like a hardened, there were some guys there that were like, this is the recycling coalition of Utah. There were 35, 40 people there. And there were some guys there I could tell were pretty tough, right? Tough guys, construction type of guys. I'm telling you, there yeah. was a dry eye in this place after this mm -hmm. presentation. And one lady came up to me, never met her before in my life, threw her arms around me, was in tears. And she says, I got to hug you. I love you. <laughs> and she, and then afterwards I sold books at this event, but it is such a privilege and an honor to tell these stories. And I challenge people. I say, you know, go help people, go love people, go build people. And that's the message. When I, when I talk to companies, I'll say, love more, help more, build more. I'll tell these stories and all of us can build people, can help people, can love people. We can all do that every day of our lives. Well, and, and when companies have you come and, and speak and share with them, you're also bringing that executive experience too. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, great, sto they're great stories. At the same time, they're very applicable to yep. what we're doing in business, what we're experiencing in the economy right now. Yeah. And I, you know... You know, that saying that's on the building, I mean, Zig Ziglar said it this way, you can get anything you want in life 
if you help enough other people get what they want. Now think about that. You know, if let's say you're struggling in your marriage, you can you can turn that around and say you can get anything you want in your marriage as long as you help your partner get what they want, he or she wants. And if you do that in your family relationships, your kids, your business relationships, your personal relationships, if you help enough other people get what they want, you will get what you want. And I know that works because that was really the philosophy of Hal Wing. I remember growing up when I was little, my dad would listen to Zig Ziglar all the time. We'd have these little cassette tapes he'd put in his truck and we'd be going off to some motorcycle race or something. And we'd be listening to Jim Rohn or Zig Ziglar. And I was like, what the heck is this? But <laughs> I grew up listening to that and Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings and Johnny Cash. That's a pretty and, good mix. And uh, But, you know, my dad was always trying to better himself, you know, listen, he would go to seminars and read books and, and listen to tapes and things. And so he was always trying to work on his attitude. In fact, he always used to say, sometimes we all need to check up from the neck up. And that is so true you know, because yeah. we, we get, there's so much negative in the world today, but if we, if we'll read a, you know, read a book once a week and listen to tapes daily. And um, you know, if you'll do that and work on your, have that little checkup from the neck up, um, you know, you'll be just fine. It, you, we all need that because we're living in a world that I remember Tom Hopkins one time said, <clears throat> why is it, why does the weatherman always say it's going to be partly sunny? Why doesn't he say it's going to be mostly sunny? And then why do green lights and red lights, why do red lights have to be stop lights? Why can't we say when the, you know, that they're go lights instead of stop lights, right? And so, yeah, you know, you go up to the second stoplight. Why can't we say, go up to the second go light, you know, and just look at things a little bit different and say, Hey, we're they're, they're go lights, not stoplights and mostly sunny or partly sunny or mostly cloudy or, you know, whatever, or, you know, so they always, Oh, there's a 30% chance of rain. Well, guess what? There's a 70% chance of sun. Right. So it's just kind of the way is so important. Yeah. Just that attitude, you know, have a good attitude. Mm -hmm. And he learned that from, uh, my dad really learned that when he was training for life insurance. He tells this famous story about he's training to be a life insurance salesman. He's got this old guy, probably in his late 50s, you know, getting close to retirement. My dad says they go to this house and they have an appointment with this guy. That's what his trainer said. They open the door. The guy flings open the door. and What do you want? You know, and the old guy tells him, hey, we're here. We've got an appointment with you. And, you know, you, we made this, I made this point with you, you know, several weeks ago. And the guy goes, you're a liar. He goes, get off my property. You know, I don't have an appointment with you. And he's swearing at him and tells him, get lost or I'll call the police or I'll beat you up. <laughs> and so um, the guy slams the door in uh, my dad's and the trainer's face. And my dad's thinking, God, you know, to himself, he's going, this guy's a real jerk. He's mean and everything. And he says something to the effect to the guy training him. He goes, man, that wasn't very nice. And um, he looks at my dad and says, well, you don't know what's happened to this guy. Maybe he just lost his job yesterday. Maybe his wife filed for divorce or he found out she was cheating on him. Or maybe he just found out his da teenage daughter's pregnant. He goes, this guy obviously has a problem. Let's go find somebody that doesn't have a problem. Who? Isn't that a cool comeback? Yeah. You just got told, don't ever come back here again. You just got shot down. And he says, "That's got, this guy's got a problem. Let's go find somebody that doesn't have a problem. Mm. And so I thought, man, well, and 
this is one of the stories my dad shared with me. And so he was like, hey, when somebody tells you no, he's got a problem. Go find somebody that doesn't have a problem. There's always going to be other people that will buy from you. So it was a great way to look at it. Yeah. I'm watching the time and I've kept you way longer than I had promised to. <laughs> and I just have two two things that I, that I wanted to touch on. The first was the um, the Honoring Heroes Foundation fundraising yeah. that you're still involved in. And, and one of the reasons, to be honest, that that really stuck in my mind, it's it's great work, but you do a motorcycle ride associated with that. And motorcycling has been a huge part of my life. Yeah. So it, it, it stayed you know top of mind. Yeah. So my dad was a real big part of honoring heroes. And when he passed away, you know, our family kind of continued that tradition. And we actually joined, you know, we did a, we did a, a, a thing with honoring heroes where, you know, from the day <clears throat> first year, my dad was after he passed away. I mean, we probably only had 20 or 30 people at this ride and I did it all myself. And, you know, we called it the Howling Memorial ride, you know, for honoring heroes. And, and now we're doing, we're doing this huge ride where, uh, this will be the 10th year. It's in uh, July wow. this year. And it's the largest fundraiser that um, Honoring Heroes has every year. And we're just proud to be a part of it. And I remember one time um, a, a police officer was killed up in northern Utah. And these are just wonderful men and women who serve us, you know, and put their lives on the line. And they, the family didn't even have enough money to buy the burial plot for this officer. Oh man. And I just remember that we came in and stepped in and paid for the funeral and for the casket and the burial plot. And it was just wonderful to be able to help these amazing families, you know, it was just, and that's the type of stuff that honoring heroes does. Um, one year, um, one of the Utah highway patrol troopers wife got cancer and we actually helped them out with um, you know, some of the expenses with her chemotherapy treatments and things. And then after she, she's still alive and, you know, we, we sent them on a little vacation together and everything. So we, you know, we do stuff like that. It's really, it's really, really neat. Yeah. It's, it's a great thing. My, my dad was in the military. He loved, he loved the men and women of, of the military, of, of EMS, of police. Um, he just had a real big, you know, soft spot in his heart for them. And so we're, we're continuing that tradition. And, and I think probably, gosh, there's probably, four or five, 600 riders every year that we have at this ride. And, and it's all um, 500, five, 600. Holy cow. And it grows every year. And we actually follow the, the UHP troopers on their motors, on their motorcycles. It's really cool. It's really cool. And um, yeah, it's wonderful. It's great. And, and the other thing before, before I promise just a few more minutes, oh, I yeah. wanted to ask about the, cause you mentioned that you've been uh, speaking more. Mm -hmm. That company since your book came out and it's, it's been a big hit. It's a bestseller. Does that, has that put you on the speaking circuit with more companies or where's that led? Yeah. So I, three weeks ago I did my very first one and people say, were you nervous? And I was like, no, not really, because I'm doing a lot of these podcasts, maybe three, four podcasts a week. And I get to tell these, you know, the stories and you know, there's, they're live. And sometimes there's thousands that watch them later, but, um, but, uh, I'm going to be in Utah. Um, next uh in about two weeks i'm really excited because the town that i grew up in springville they have invited me to come back to do a open house and a book signing thing at the public library springville public library nice so, yeah so i'll be there on may 5th i'll be doing a presentation there um actually ken walls and his wife will be there with me and um we're very gonna, nice cool yeah we're excited about that and then um uh, and then uh, also the couple of days before that, I've been invited to speak to an elementary school, sixth grade. And um, so we're working on a new PowerPoint for sixth graders. And um, 
And uh, I'm excited to speak to these young kids about um, the opportunities of service and helping people. And we actually, Jill Walls designed these really cool shirts that these little shirts I'll be giving all these little kids. It says, I'm a giant success. And uh, those are going to be really cool. And then I'm also speaking to, um, I'm a keynote speaker at the uh, West Valley City there in Salt Lake City uh, Police Department, um, their, their banquet. And um, I'm really excited about that. So three speaking engagements in one week in Utah. And um, I'm excited about it. I, I just love talking about Hal Wing, my father, who was just such a great guy, but also really his, um, his core principles and values that any of us can apply in our lives, in our businesses, in our families. Um, it, it, there's, no, you know, there's no limit to where um, these things that, that Hal taught us, uh, you know, to give, to love more, to help more, to build more, to give people opportunities. You know, that's one thing as you read the book, Jeffrey, is you'll see that Hal Wing gave a lot of people chances that nobody would give yes. chances to. I remember there's a little, there's a little guy that was in my dad's neighborhood that was, he was an older, you know, he was a mature man, but he had the intelligence of probably maybe a 12 year old, 10 year old. And he, he was on government help and, and my dad went to church with him. And he, he, he saw him in church one time and he said, uh, Mike, he said, I want you to come and work for me. He was, well, I can't work. You know, he was, he was, he had been told his whole life that he couldn't work. And so he was, he would sit home and watch, you know, Andy Griffith show and Gunsmoke reruns. And my dad challenged him and he said, Mike, come work for me. And so this guy, he was, like I said, he was an adult, but he was a little handicapped mentally. All he did all day long was clean up. He would, you know, take all the paper that came off of the bundles when people would cut bundles of aluminum. And then he would sweep the floors and mop the floors and clean the bathrooms. But what happened to this guy, Mike, was he really gained um, confidence and self-esteem by like, hey, I can work even if it's just cleaning up all day. And he worked for us until the day he retired. Now he's living in Florida. And I just think even a guy that was mentally handicapped, here's my dad. Um, you know, yeah. giving this guy self-esteem and worth, helping him develop that. And it was really cool. It was just, that's the kind of guy Hal Wing was. He would take these people and he'd be challenge them to improve and to, you know, and to grow. And it was, and I, I tell you, I've grown a lot just doing this book. I mean, I, I went from being a businessman and now I'm doing, I'm an author and I speak and, and I just signed a new deal for three years with uh, Mark Victor Hansen Libraries. Congratulations. Um, yeah, to write more books with Mark and to do some speaking. And again, here's the here's the thing where I could have sat around and done nothing, right? I, I sold my company yeah. and I could have played golf all day and just drank lemonade all day and stuff. But you know, um through doing this book, I I developed a new talent, you know, and I'm growing as an as a man, as an individual. So it's pretty exciting. I, I'm really happy about it. I can't imagine you sitting still for very long though. <laughs> Yeah. Even if, even if it's just a day of play. Yeah. There's always <laughs> something to do. So, yeah. So how, how can people um, get in touch with you if they, if they want to invite you to come speak or they want to get more of your books, where's, what's the best way to reach out? Um, probably giantsuccess.com or dugwing.com, either one. Um, uh, there's a couple of websites there. Um, you know, dugwing.com. If you go on there, you can also um, buy, you can also get uh, autographed, signed copies of the book. 
really the books are doing well on Barnes and Noble and Amazon is really the big one. But if somebody wants a signed copy of the book, they can go to dugwing.com or giant success. It doesn't matter because if you go on to giant, if you go to dugwing.com and you, you click that you want to buy a book and then it goes to giant success. So they're all kind of linked in, but yeah, um, if somebody wants me to come and speak at their company or, you know, they want to know more, you know, they want to do it a podcast or whatever. Um, want a book, just go to dugwing.com and, um, Whoops. no, nah, that's fine. Giantsuccess.com. Yeah. So my email is real easy. Doug at dugwing.com. You know, people can, people can email me as well. So, yep. Be glad to help anybody I can. So. Well, and, and there's just, you've got so much to offer. Well, that's very, here real quick for your email address. Yeah. That's, that's very kind of you. I mean, we've been so blessed, you know, that's one thing is I had these wonderful parents that, um, that uh, gave back, you know, they, they would just, they taught us to give back and to, to, uh, to serve. I mean, I remember even when my father was, had passed away, my mom, my mom was so such a sweet lady at Christmas time. She would, and other times when, you know, like she'd say, she called me one time and she goes, did you see this family that I think they had some handicapped kids or something and, and they, they got in a crash and their van got totaled. And, um, you know, it was a special one of those special handicap vans. And my mom called me up. She goes, did you see that story on the news? And I said, no. And she goes, well, this, this family, they lost their van and, you know, she ended up buying them a new van. And, um, and then, wow. yeah. And another time, uh, other times at Christmas time, especially my mom would call me up and she would have these little envelopes. Um, she would call me up and she would put the names of like 10, 15 widows in town and she had their names on them and she would have cash in these envelopes. And she had me go out and give uh, these little envelopes to these little widows in town. It was just sweet. This is a special, you know, um, here's my mom. She's a widow herself. And, uh, but she's one that has means to help people. And she never forgot about these, these little sweet little ladies. And she was always looking for opportunities to bless people and help them. So I, I had, man, I had these incredible parents that, that taught us so well, you know, so very well. Absolutely. And Doug, we're, we're way over time. I appreciate so much your time. I know you've got a packed schedule. Thanks well, for, for yeah, being I mean, part of this and talking with me today. I love talking about this. I love talking about, you know, how wing and, and just the man that he was and the, the, the uh, impact he had on my life. And, and now, you know, through this book, I mean, we can touch, we can touch, you know, thousands and maybe even mm -hmm. someday, you know, maybe hundreds of thousands of people. And, you know, so my, I guess my final message to everybody is, is look for opportunities to help people and to love people and to build people. And I promise you that if you, if you look for those opportunities every day, they're there, you just have to look for them. We're so, a lot of times we're in such a hurry just to get from point A to point B, but there's, there are people out there that need our help and that we can help and mentor and, and, and help them see who they really are and what they can become. So, yeah. Mm, powerful. Yeah. And I'm just going to say thank you for being part of Wolf's Watch as you're watching this. Hope you wrote that down. If not, play it back. That is a powerful statement. Thank you very much, Jeffrey. Scott. Scott Rickard, so awesome what you're doing, Doug, following in the footsteps of how. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Continuing the tradition.
Thank you very much. And we will see you on the trail. Uh, Doug, if you just got two minutes, I want to do a quick outbrief. We're always doing after action review. Sure. Thank and, you. Uh, thank, thank you for being here. Thank you for watching. Scott and Sandy, thanks for joining us. Jerry Eisenhower, thank you for joining us. This has been a great hour and a half that was uh, intended to be maybe about 30, 40 minutes. So thank you so much, Doug, for the extra time. You got it. Anytime. Thank you.